Welcome back to Too Many Comics Interview Spectacular. We are happy to be joined uh, this time around by part three of David Pepo's, uh, whom you may, may remember from Spencer Unlocked, Going to the Chapel. Uh, I believe those are the two that we talked about the most when, mm-hmm. when you've been around. Uh, so yep. the last time we chatted was September 2019, when you gave us a little sneak peek of going to the chapel. So, um, David, welcome, and thanks for uh, for coming back. We we totally appreciate yeah. you coming on board. Absolutely. No, I, I, I always have a blast chatting with you guys, and I'm so excited to talk with you about my new Kickstarter project. Uh, it's called The OZ. It's What If Mad Max and the Hurt Locker Took Place in the Wizard of Oz. So, so how long have you been sitting on this one? Uh, three years. Oh, I've been wow. working on this. You know, for, for those who who have listened to the podcast before and you're familiar with my book, Spencer and Locke, it's, uh, that book was What If Calvin and Hobbes Grew Up in Sin City. And with a high concept like that, you you can either succeed or you can fail, but you can't do it quietly. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is something that's going to be loud no matter if you stick the landing or not. And thankfully, we did. Thankfully, you know, our, our, the response was universally positive, which is it was a huge relief because at the time I didn't know if I'd get to write another book. I was very concerned I was going to get run out of the industry for this. So when the dust cleared and I kind of popped my head out to see if it was safe, I was like, all right, people seem to like this book. Maybe I'll be a comics writer. So um, I came up with three ideas shortly thereafter. Uh, one of them was Spencer and Locke Volume 2, which I'd had in my back pocket since I pitched the book to my artist, uh, Jorge Santiago Jr. Then I'd go into the chapel because I was the world's worst best man at my oldest friend's wedding. So, <laughs> of course, that 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 turns into uh, Die Hard meets Wedding Crashers. Um, and then this, the OZ. And so, um, you know, the OZ kind of recontextualizes um, Dorothy Gale killing the Wicked Witch of the West and reimagines it as almost a botched regime change. So when Dorothy clicks her heels three times and goes home to Kansas, she's unwittingly left Oz in, in, in a power vacuum that spirals them into years of brutal civil war. And so a generation later, Dorothy's granddaughter and namesake is a disillusioned Iraq war veteran. And she's come back home from her time overseas with some real trauma, some real guilt, and some real scars. And she's trying to put the pieces of her life back together in Kansas when a tornado strikes. And suddenly this new Dorothy finds herself in the war-torn land of Oz. So she's going to have to kind of confront her past and her grandmother's legacy, not to mention navigate her grandmother's former friends if she hopes to survive the occupied zone. Or as the locals call it, the OZ. <laughs> it sounds like you've done that pitch before. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm getting a little practice in uh, yeah, during the yeah. start. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's you know it's 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 a super fun book. I say it's kind of like what the Mad Max version of Star Wars might look like. Um, you know, it's sort of very gritty and intense, but still has that sense of, that sweeping scale and that sense of wonder to it all. Um, you know, the Land of Oz has teeth now, and this Dorothy Gale as a soldier, she's really the one who's best equipped to navigate it. She sees this kind of broken wild magic not just as a dangerous obstacle but as a weapon to defend herself and those around her. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's been a, a, a fun book to write. Um, I've written six issues of it, six standard sized issues that we are actually repackaging as three double sized issues over the course of three Kickstarter campaigns. Oh, awesome. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm really thrilled with how the book turned out. I've written the whole thing. Artist Ruben Rojas is hard at work on our second installment. Now um, it's 
probably one of the most beautiful books I've ever worked on. So in your head, how many do you have planned? Well, you know, we so I had written those six issues as a standalone arc. Um, but that said, you know, I've always I always write with an idea in my back pocket. Um, and so, you know, if the demand is there, which right now, the, it, looking at my Kickstarter, the demand has certainly been there. So it seems uh, by five. Uh, yeah, by five. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, you know, I feel like if our bandwidth is there, you know, if Ruben's bandwidth is there, if Whitney Kogar's uh, bandwidth is there, I, I would certainly not want to do any sequels to the OZ without Ruben Rojas and Whitney Kogar involved. They, they just they really make this book. Um, but yeah, you know, I could see us doing a couple more of these. Um, you know, it, it, that's kind of the theme of the OZ in a lot of ways is just because the, the war has been won doesn't mean there's not another battle right around the corner. Sure. So I'm, I'm really curious about, so, and we'll go back to the, the book at hand here, but you've yeah. been really savvy about plucking characters that we kind of know of either, but Oz, obviously, and sort of kind of Calvin and Hobbes and sort of kind of a few other characters and sort of brought them into a more gritty reality like where does that come from like what how did that, that's that's kind of your genre but i like it right? <laughs> well, you know, i i it, it's you know the thing is is that like i i try not to get too deep into that like going to the chapel for sure is is a, is, is a little bit of a lighter fare but um yeah you know i i want to pick my battles with the childhood nostalgia uh revisitations um you know it's one of those things i've done it twice now i could see myself doing it maybe one more time um, it, it's all about figuring out whether or not the story is right um, and whether or not the source material justifies it. Um, you know, I mean, you could, I, I joke, you know, you could do like, like Breaking Bad starring Sesame Street, you know, where, like, <laughs> Elmo cook it meth and, and Oscar the Grouch's trash can. But, <laughs> but, you know, there's no, there's no, it do, there's nothing justifying that, or at least nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and, when you have when you when you don't have that justification, it just becomes shock value, shock for shock's sake, and yeah. that doesn't build audience investment or any emotional engagement. Like everybody will look at the car accident once, no one's going back for seconds. So for me, the thing that I've I've really enjoyed, first off, it's sort of taking a look at something that's fairly universal and turning it on its head, um, which you know I I, I kind of like, and the iconography is already built in. Um, but I think when it, you, you dig down deep into it, nostalgia, it's, it's, it's kind of a shared memory. You know, it's this collective image of when the world was a safer, less complicated place. And so by taking these kind of universal icons that are populated with these very strong archetypes, um, I think you're able to explore heavier material and darker subject matter because the audience instinctively knows that these icons won't break. No matter what I do in the OZ, it's not going to erase the L. Frank Baum novels or the Judy Garland film. And so I think readers are able to sort of take that step further with, with a little less hesitation because they know if these characters won't break, maybe we won't as well. Okay, that's actually a pretty good segue. So one thing that was I did not know as a kid, I've seen the Wizard of Oz movie 500,000 times. It was kind of a family <laughs> tradition. I did not know that there are volumes upon volumes upon volumes of books that were written mm-hmm. by Frank yep. Baum. Yep. Is that to you does that, does that feel limiting to you or does that give you more to play no, with? Not, yeah, exactly the opposite. I think it gives me a ton uh, to play with. So my familiarity with the L. Frank Baum novels is I actually read a bunch of them for college. I wrote a, a term paper in adolescent literature 
talking about how the land of Oz was like a prototypical superhero universe. Um, that that Baum was building upon mythology and continuity over the course of 20 novels, decades before Stan and Jack was on the scene. And so, um, you know, I, I think I think it's 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 just as as fully fleshed out of a universe as Marvel or Star Wars or DC, and that's great because you're able to sort of, I you're able to thread the needle a little bit. Like everybody knows the core quartet, you know, Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion. So we're able to kind of focus on on them, but there's so much wider mythology that can be explored. So, you know, there's the Deadly Desert, for example. Um, You know, there's the Mountaintops of Ix. Uh, There's the Bombed Out Emerald City. There's the uh, Wicked Witch's Castle. It's just as iconic as things like like Tatooine and Hoth and Dagobah and Cloud City. Um, And so that's part of the reason why I talk about what's the Mad Max version of Star Wars look like. Um, is that there's so much mythology that you can kind of cherry pick. And for me, actually, the biggest challenge was just keeping it contained, you know, because I don't want people to have to have read a bunch of books to understand this. Like, I want this book to be accessible to the widest possible audience. And so, you know, characters like, you know, Ozma or TikTok, um, you know, uh, I, I was kind of saving those in my back pocket. Um, you know, just I, I, I see storytelling potential with them potentially down the line, but, you know, I wanted to keep the core characters intact, but still kind of sprinkle in some of those Easter eggs for the diehard fans. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the, the thing about the Wizard of Oz, I think, you know, it's so enduring for a reason, you know, these characters, um, they are so they're very strong archetypes each and every one of them and then you put them in a room together and it's like iron strengthens iron you know they're all kind of sparking off each other and and sort of illuminating new characteristics but you know they each have their own very unique look they each have their own distinct arc their own uh individual needs and yet when you kind of put them in a room together it's kind of a fun jam band and you see that influence going all the way to claremont's x-men to like classic RPGs like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VII, mm-hmm. um, you know. I, see, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like those are sort of the influences that go go into it. You can even you can even say Star Wars, you know, um, you know, of Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, the droids, uh, and Vader. Um, so yeah, I you know I think I think Oz is it's been a really it's been like an embarrassment of riches to play in because any kind of threat that I wanted to throw at Dorothy, there's a location with that uh, in Oz. And so um, it really lends for a very uh, varied and diverse sort of uh, action adventure. So you mentioned them earlier and I don't, I don't want to veer too far away before we we pick up on it. Cause I did plan to ask anyways, but yeah. the creative team behind it, um, you know, how did that come together? Um, how's everyone working together? Yeah, um, they're they're terrific. They they are just they are just uh, an incredible team. Um, you know, Ruben Rojas is one of the most gifted designers I've ever worked with. Um, he he sent me some character designs uh, last night that I was just like totally blown away for uh, for a character we'll be seeing more of in issue two. Um, but yeah, he's just you know he's. He's like if Dan Mora and Sean Murphy had a baby. Uh, hmm. That's kind of where his style lives. And so he's very good at kind of switching up between like this really cool looking action, but also switching gears to this very dramatic emotion. Um, he's really the full package. And my favorite part about working with Ruben is, I, you know, 
he 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 gives me these beautiful pencils, these beautiful blue lines, and I very rarely have to tell him anything. I'm just like, oh, okay, that's great, rubber stamped, you're good to go. Or <laughs> or I say, hey, we had one page um, that he showed me the other day, and I was like, hey, can we add the Tin Man in the background? He's like, yeah, sure. That's you know, he's so he's so <laughs> gracious and 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 easy to work with, and he's so talented. Um, it's it's I've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, we've we've been working together now for the better part of a year. Um, and yeah, he's just he's just the he. I am so glad we live in a world where people know who Ruben Rojas is, um, because a week ago that I don't think that was the case. And um, yeah, so he's just terrific. Whitney Kogar is kind of the secret weapon of the team. Um, you know, she's the colorist of the Eisner Award-winning Giant Days. But this looks very different, I think, than anything Whitney has done before. And she just is, like I said, so terrific at what she does. Um, I've had it drilled into me for a long time that uh, art makes or breaks a comic, right? Well, colors make or break your art. Mm-hmm. And so finding the the wrong colorist can tank even the strongest line work, but the right colorist can elevate anything. And to call Whitney Kogar the right colorist is a, sort of a gross, un, uh, like like understatement. She she is just uh, I couldn't have picked a better collaborator for this book than than Whitney Kogar. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, as somebody who has a lot of capital O opinions about colors, uh, I don't really have to give them to Whitney. Um, you know, you know, my, 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 my notes for her are, Hey, can we add a little bit of a red tinge here? Or, Hey, can we shift this bombs colors a little bit to make it pop more? She just is, she is a dream to work with. I'm so happy to be working with her. And then DC Hopkins, he's our, he's our letterer. Um, love the guy, super, uh, uh, chill, super generous, super deliberate with his choices just a wonderful communicator and a much needed center of calm to all this craziness of putting a comic together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's the ultimate team player and he and I talk so much about kind of how my words are going to interact with the art and, uh, you know, DC, you know, he, he, he adds in his own spins on things, which I think are really wonderful. Um, and at the same time, he's just, he, he, he's so considerate as far as what his other, what his collaborators needs are. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this this team, I think we all egg each other on in a way. Um, you know, we all sort of inspire each other to bring our A games. And, you know, you, you know, when I see Ruben's artwork, I immediately, you know, I marathoned six issues because I was so in love with the way that Ruben drew the Tin Man. Um, and, you know, when Whitney sees Ruben's line work, she just knocks it out of the park. And then Ruben sees... Whitney's colors and it just mm-hmm. inspires him to dig in deeper with his inks. It's it's the best kind of positive feedback system. It's a uh, this is a big tease by the way because all you're describing we have not seen. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's a great it's a great point. It's a great the way, it, the way he draws the Tin it, Man. <laughs> man. Um, you know, you can see you can see our take on the Tin Man on our Kickstarter page. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, we've got the Tin Man is our, our central central image as well as our main cover. And that main cover is the is the pitch cover that Ruben did for us. When okay. I, I usually have an artist do six pages in a cover just to make sure it's a good fit. And he just, I saw that cover and I said, Ruben, keep drawing. Yeah, that looks I'm it looks great. 
promise you I will make this book come out. It's so it's I'll cool. Follow. It's cool to hear you, you know, talk the process with the creators like that, at least from yeah. from my point of view, because I, you know, I didn't grow up reading comics as, as long as Brooks had. And I imagine even when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have taken any of that into account. So, you know, as I started reading things when I was older, I think yeah. you have much more appreciation of, you know, I imagine being younger, you probably just think of writer artist and just assume right. that, like the artist does every little piece. So just to like, to know that, you know, someone's maybe drawing, someone's coloring, someone's lettering, and it's got to all, it's got to all work together. And it's, it's crazy when you think yeah. about it and all, all those pieces having to, to fit just right. I mean, so, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, I, as, as somebody who, it, it took until I became an intern at DC to realize that like to really put names and faces to everything. So mm-hmm. I totally understand where you're coming from. So question, and this is so obvious, and I'm sorry to ask the most stupid question, but obviously things have changed as how we all work together as we're all working from our couches and our parents' basements. And our how has the, how has the COVID situation affected how you creatively network with your team to get this book to, to life? Well, has it changed uh- at all? No, uh, <laughs> uh, you know the thing is, is uh, none of us live. None of us have ever lived in the same city. I think Whitney's down in 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 Georgia. Uh, I think let's see where Dave Hopkins is. Um, you don't know where Dave Indiana. is. <laughs> he's, in, he's in Indiana, uh, and Ruben's in Spain. So we're you know, and I'm I'm in Los Angeles. So we're already operating on four very different time zones. Um, so we're you know we're, we're we always communicate through email anyway. Um, DC Hopkins and I are probably the only ones who are communicating like live. Like we, we often communicate through Twitter DM, um, cause he'll just send me screen grabs and say, what do you think about this? Um, so the, the thing is, is that before this Kickstarter started, we were already done with two issues. Um, it was just, it was, it was done. So we're, we're actually, we're hard at work in issue three right now. Um, or, or I guess the second installment, our, our next Kickstarter. Um, so the process hasn't changed too much, uh, at least on my end. Uh, you know, I, I was already working from home as a freelancer before the pandemic. Um, you know, the the only thing that I think changed for for the better for me in the micro and horribly for the industry in the macro, um, I do feel like when COVID shut everything down and Diamond did their temporary shutdown. Yeah. It was bad for the industry, but it was weirdly good for my creative bandwidth. And I'll I'll explain why that is. You know, the direct market, and I understand why this is, it is built into this structurally, but there's this sense of of scarcity. And sometimes it's inflated, but it's always there. Comic shops have a limited amount of shelf space, a limited amount of bandwidth, and a limited amount of budget to take risks on your book. So everybody feels like they're in competition with each other and you know it's one of those things that like the 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 most successful creators are the ones that kind of put that ego away and you know really do kind of cheer each other on and really do kind of help each other out but it's not as prevalent as one as i would hope kickstarter is a very different animal where you know kickstarter wants all projects to succeed so so they all get their cut so they do a good job at keeping people in that ecosystem they promote everybody's work and creators kind of each lift each other up you know because they say oh well if everybody on my mailing list if, if everybody on david's mailing list sees my kickstarter and vice versa then we each get more backers that way so but when covid shut everything down that noise in the background turned off 
And suddenly it's not just it's not just the hard work of putting a book out, but that anxiety of, oh, man, I have to get work out because the machine will keep going without me if I don't if I'm not constantly if I'm not constantly throwing in with more work, the train's going to leave without me. There's no trains leaving. And so I wrote three books in pandemic during the pandemic. It was really freeing for me in a way that was very unexpected um, because I could just focus on the work instead of focusing on the business. Mm. Um, And so, you know, I think that was, that was particularly freeing. And I think Kickstarter is kind of the next step for me in that. It's not to say that I'm not going to do work in the direct market. I, I, I have direct market books coming, you know, uh, but I like Kickstarter and the fact that we're not shackled to the month to month frequency. We can do this at a more seasonal basis. We can put, put the book out as soon as it's ready. We don't have to wait for anybody. Uh, we don't have to wait for permission. On top of, we're able to interact with fans directly we're, and we're able to cut out all the middlemen um you know we're able to you're able to fund your own books without going into debt making them it's really been a very eye-opening experience for me and i think creators who are looking to future-proof themselves they need to be kind of weaving in between the direct market and kickstarter and webtoons or comiXology or digital and outside of the direct market and cons and multimedia any creator is going to have to navigate all of these things Mm mm-hmm yeah, this is a this is like right up my alley, and I think Brooks is too. We've had many attacks on the on the regular show about this sort of thing, um, especially we're you know was wondering how COVID was affecting all that. You know, we've got yeah. you know Scott Snyder has a Kickstarter book out right now, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. is which is doing really well. You've got you know Brian Kavan already went through with Panel Syndicate, where he's got other people writing stuff mm-hmm. in there. Uh, it, I mean, it yeah. seems like a a you know a, a thing that's about to boom. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think Kickstarter, I think I certainly think with Scott joining, it's going to be a sea change. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of direct market people who, you know, who who are feeling a little worried about the way things are going. They're going to say, oh, well, you know, Kickstarter, like, you know, this this is a source of income to them. I I would caution against some of that thinking. I think it's you know, first off the price, the cost of putting a book together is, is not cheap. Mm. Um, and secondly, you know, that the, 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 the longer your book is, is planned, the more it's going to be. Not everybody can write Batman. Um, I think the thing that will equalize everything is people realizing that, Oh, running a Kickstarter is hard. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. And unless you've hired assistance, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a tough road to hoe. And also, you know, Scott is Scott, you know, it, not everybody gets the chance to write Batman or Spider-Man or, you know, one of those big tier icons for a long lucrative run, but to sort of belabor the point of how the Kickstarter is so different than the direct market, how it's really its own different planet with its own laws of physics. Um, if Scott had dropped a Beyonce and dropped Nocturnal in comic shops on the day of my release, I'd be screwed, you know, because the comic shops, obviously they have to pay their rent and they can only, not every book is returnable. And so they got to spend money on, you know, on, 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 on all their stuff. Um, but, but, you know, in Kickstarter, it became a a $150,000 advertisement for me. 
where, you know, Scott brought in so many people into Kickstarter that were not doing Kickstarter before. And Kickstarter's model is they want to keep you in the ecosystem. So they, they say, oh, you bought Scott Snyder's book. Well, let me recommend another book that's really popular right now. It's mm-hmm. called The OZ. And so, you know, when, when people send out updates, Kickstarter adds little ads to all the books. And so I see my book pop up quite frequently. So I think it's really helpful. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's something that it's really been an eye opener for me. Um, and I think it's made me a more collaborative uh, creator. I think it's mm. made me sort of realize like, oh, you know, we're all in this together. And if we can signal boost each other, you know, it's not it's not that 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 feeling of scarcity that the direct market has. This is something where a rising tide truly floats all boats. Mm-hmm. So you had the the six thousand dollar goal. Um, you know, we mentioned it's up over thirty thousand. Is it has it taken us? Has it beaten your expectations already? I mean, it, you know, it's well past goal, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know how often people just kind of try to like shoot low and then you know. No, I, I, I my goal was six thousand dollars in thirty days. I, uh, I, uh, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, I, I had spoken with friends like Charlie Stickney from White Ash and my buddy Ryan Grant just completed a Kickstarter called, um, the jump and, um, uh, Russell the healthy with his laundry list of, 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 uh, of books. And most of them were saying, you know, you don't have any data to support, you know, you've done direct market, but you've never done Kickstarter mm-hmm. aim low aim low and so i had aimed for a for a, uh, an amount that would cover most of my art costs um wouldn't really cover the printing but like would you know cover most of the art costs that went into to making this and um so when we were funded in two hours <laughs> it's like oh that plan i had of how can i sort of keep goosing things over 30 days to hit this goal well that just exploded on impact mm-hmm. um you know, you have the backup plans and the backup plans and then the backup plans to the backup plans. But nobody tells you what to expect when you when you hit 300 percent funded in the first day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like going out for a sandwich and winding up on the moon. There's no preparing for that level of overshoot. And moon, so that's a like, moon sandwich. That's yeah, a moon amazing. sandwich. <laughs> that's sort of that's been my that's been my kind of, um, you know, challenge. Um, is, is just kind of figuring out, okay, like, what do I do? You know, like, how do I keep adding value to the book or adding rewards that we can distribute without breaking our, our shipping infrastructure? Mm -hmm. Um, how can we do that in a way that makes sense? Um, how can we, how can we, how can we, uh, distribute things digitally? You know, how can we keep adding value so we can keep inviting more readers? So, yeah, it's definitely it's something that um, is, is certainly a challenge. Um, you know, it's something I'm still kind of figuring out day by day. Um, and, you know, it's it's a, but it's been a great learning curve. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't be happier with it. So, yeah, we're just taking it kind of one day at a time and just trying to kind of build as many backers into this as humanly possible. What's the, what's the feedback been like thus far? Do, do you think you're kind of, you're, you know, you're pretty active on Twitter and mm-hmm. uh, good at marketing yourself. Do you feel like you're hearing from, are you hearing from a lot of people who have, you know, never heard of you before, haven't read Spencer and Locke or going to the chapel or, yeah. you know, I think that, I think a lot of people, 
you know, there are certain people that I've spoken with who they're like, we've heard of your book and we just didn't have the chance to pick it up. And so mm. now we're really excited because we kind of get to hit the trifecta here um, because we have a lot of tears that involve my previous work. Um, you know, because I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that since, since the Kickstarter demographic is very different than the direct market demographic, I wanted to make sure that I was able to introduce myself and introduce everyone to all of my work. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, but I think the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things you believe in the book, you know, you believe in it enough to roll the dice in a Kickstarter, but to see the rest of the world immediately latch on mm-hmm. is really heartening I, it, it really it really means a lot so yeah i i uh it's pretty cool i, I i'm not gonna lie um and it's definitely uh really humbling and i couldn't be more grateful for it so for people that have not yet given to a goal that's been exceeded long ago what should somebody know about this book to make them go that much more into yeah. the fiduciary debt (laughs) (laughs) so so first off first off the 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 first thing i'll say is you know the money that we earn on this book just goes towards the next issues um you know like i promise this is a six issue mini when you include printing and art and covers um and shipping to the mix i promise i'm not getting rich off this um you know this this is this is to cover costs not to line my pocket but um, you know, if you like Mad Max, Fury Road, you're gonna love this book. If you love the Old Guard, you're gonna love this book. If you love fables, if you love DMZ, if you like the Sheriff of Babylon, you're gonna love this book. Um, you know, it really is kind of our our action fantasy military adventure, but in a way that it has weight, but also has excitement, but also has heart. Um, I think we work really hard to justify. Our, our high concept this is definitely we we've thought long and hard about this because we don't want to um, punch down and we want to make sure that we're empathetic to our readers and that we're compassionate and that we show them uh respect because ultimately you know that's that's kind of our you know we want to make sure that our readers don't feel like they're being you know having ha- us thumbing their nose at them with this book that's that, that, that would be the last thing i'd want to do so yeah you know i think this is a gorgeous book i think artistic it goes toe to toe with any book in the direct market, um, and I, I say that I say that with nothing but confidence. I, I, it's it is a gorgeous looking book. Um, I think the writing's pretty good too, um, and I think we get to take some really cool twists and turns on some universal characters. You see, the the Tin Soldier, for example, that he's a character who's been destroyed and rebuilt so many times with whatever metals around him that he's turned into this towering war machine freedom fighter. But he's also the guy who wanted a heart. And so what happens to that heart when he's watched people die in front of him for years? Do you bury that heart or does it always come back up? Or the scarecrow, you know? What happens to Oz's smartest man when the country falls into endless war? You know, um, sometimes being the smartest guy in the room doesn't mean you have all the answers. Sometimes it just means you're the first one to realize how screwed you are. And at the same time, you look at Elon Musk, all these self-described smart guys, it's all ego. So what happens when you keep trying to fix the Rubik's Cube and there's no there, there's no solution? How does that – what does that do to you? Um, or the lion, you know, um, the, the, the person who wanted to be brave. How does that calculus change when you're 
not just fighting for yourself anymore, but you're the, the, the king of the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing I really like most about the OZ is we don't just get to explore how war has touched Dorothy, but all these characters have been affected for years and seeing kind of how they've changed, but in certain ways have stayed the same all these years. It's been a really fun way to explore these characters. And uh, we've got some really fun twists and turns ahead, but I can tell you um, with the book being done, having read it, it's really good stuff. Uh, I'm curious, did, did any, any friends at Action Lab reach out while you were planning this to be like, hey, what's the... Uh... Well, you know, the thing is, is you know, I, I'm still working on Spencer and Lock 3 for Action Lab. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm working on for them right now. But, you know, it, it was one of those things I, I want to diversify. Mm. Um, you know, nothing but love for Action Lab. But, like, <laughs> I, I just, you know, and also kind of while I was developing this, um, you know, Action Lab was on hiatus, you know, it was, it was during COVID. Mm. So, um, you know, I think starting something outside of the direct market w- was very attractive to me. I'd wanted to do Kickstarter for a long time. And I also wanted to find a home for the OZ. And publishers were dragging their heels. And then I realized I could solve one problem with another. Um, I could give the OZ a home and introduce myself to the Kickstarter community with my absolute A game. And, you know, I mean... It's one of those things. Look, I'm not opposed to. There are plenty of Kickstarter books that get second lives uh, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly would be fine with that if that wound up being the case. Uh, you know, now though, I'm just focused on making this accessible to our backers. I, I am committed to making sure that all three issues are going to be available on Kickstarter. I'm not. The idea of us starting this book on on a platform and not finishing it is unacceptable to me. So. Um, but that said, you know, I I, uh, I feel pretty good about this book. And if our first ten days are any indication, um, I think I you know I I wouldn't I I wouldn't expect to see the last of us. Is that a threat or a promise? Well, <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. Uh, yeah. I, I can confess that I have not backed yet, but it was only because I was waiting to talk to you first. So. Uh, I will officially be backing at some level. We'll we'll see. You got a lot of different levels here, so I need to pick and choose what we I'm going for. Tons, we got tons of levels. Um, I can tell you, you know, we've got uh, we've got you know just going down to the digital level. Um, you know, you'll get PDFs of of uh, the first issues of Spencer and Locke and going to the chapel as well. We have that. We're offering that at every single level. Um, uh, almost every level, you'll get a PDF of my script. Um, we've got. Uh, uh, Another level, we've got digital files of Ruben Rojas's inks and Whitney Kogar's colors. Um, we've got four amazing variant, or four amazing covers. So you know, we also have a deal where if you buy all four covers, you get it for the price of three. Um, you know, uh, I think we might still have one Skype session left with me. Uh, you know, I can do portfolio reviews. I can talk to you about Kickstarter. I can talk to you about Hollywood. I can talk to you about publicity. Um, you you kind of get to set the agenda. You got that uh, shit for free just now. <laughs> yeah, you just got it for free. Um, we got a, we got a sketch card uh, featuring uh, Ruben's design of Dorothy Gale. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm just going further down. I'm pretty sure we might have a couple of commissions left from Ruben. Oh nope, nope. Those have all been bought. Ooh. That's cool. Um, I will say this is sort of the creme de la creme. Um, this is sort of the, the ultra premium, what we've got available right now. I had 10 handmade Spencer and Locke plushies made for our wow. first Oh, man. We have two left. 
it's oh. history. It's sort of that's why that's why our, our it's it's our premium tier. Uh, it's our king of the jungle package. Uh, but yes, don't tempt um, me. You know, if you want a piece of history, <laughs> uh, it we, could sit got, right along got, with my uh, goose plush from a uh, saga, which I had yeah. no reason to ever buy, but now I own. <laughs> now you now you own. But this is super 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 limited edition. Oh, uh, you know, we our, the person we had commissioned them is out of the out of the game, so this is all I got left. You're really pushing it. You're selling. I'm it. trying. I want, I want, I want a Panther in every home. Mm-hmm. Um, before we, we finish up in, in general, I know we've, we've talked to you plenty in the past about just kind of stuff that you read yourself and you know, yeah. what you've got into. I'm, I'm curious, like what has, you know, is there something that you were looking forward to the most in, in comics that sort of COVID has delayed or taken away from you? I mean, just in the greatest example, you know, we've had things like black widow delayed and right. you know, the MCU TV shows on Disney plus have been delayed and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wonder Woman delayed, and what were you sort of looking forward New to most? New mutants, New please. mutants forever. Please, <laughs> yeah. please. Tomorrow, New tonight. I, um, you know, conventions. Um, yeah. But you know, similar similar to what I was talking about about that sort of losing that noise of of everything go, going on in the industry. I feel like me not doing cons has made me way more productive. Um, but I miss them. I love doing conventions. Um, I kind of feel like I'm doing a 30 day convention right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I I, I do miss that. Um, for sure, Black Widow. Um, you know, I I, uh, I miss just kind of going out. Like I miss traveling. Right. You know, I know these are not particularly nerdy things, um, but you know, as much as I'm used to working from home, it, you know, it would have been nice to like go to a restaurant to celebrate this Kickstarter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I feel like for me sort of the decluttering of it all has actually been good for me. Um, you know, I like the things that I really wanted or the things that I, I wanted on a time frame that really helped me through was, you know, playing video games. I mean, you know, I, uh, you know, I played last of us, uh, last of us part two. Um, I, uh, I'm waiting for that Avengers game to come out. I, uh, I refuse to get to play the beta until this campaign's done. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I worry that I will love it too much and then I'll lose my campaign, um, that I'll retroactively fail my campaign. I'll somehow play <laughs> so hard that I'll go back in time and fail it. Um, but yeah, I, I just, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, 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 it, it's, it's one of those things I'm so, uh, I've been so in the day to day just hunkering down that I have not thought about future stuff since March. Yeah. It is kind of weird. I, I mean, I can't believe that it's like basically September already. Yeah. I mean, like, Brooks, I realize you've gone from like state to state of, you know, it probably feels like times. forever to you. But, you know, for me, just sitting here where I have been, it kind of does feel like it's just like gone right on by. I'm just like buried in, you know, being at home this whole time, you know, from a, I have a 17 month old. So she was 11 months. She was just, she was just turning one sort of when I got my work from home um, orders. So just like, this is just like a, a whirlwind every day is just like what's she into yeah like it's it's you know it's weird i i i think the whole thing is just uh yeah it's been it's been it's been a weird year and you know all i can do is just kind of keep putting my nose to the grindstone and and hopefully when the world opens again i'll have a, a war chest of new stuff to show you guys well we are we're happy that you that you reached out and uh we're glad that you're My still pleasure. doing some stuff during during yeah. covid 
Um, yeah. you know, it's super exciting. Uh, we'll definitely be backing it. Uh, the benefit to our listeners is they don't have to uh, stress. So there's sometimes there's the stress and like you back a Kickstarter and it ends up not hitting the goal and then you you know you miss right. out on whatever it was going to be. But this one's already backed, so it's happening. This one's backed. The book yeah. is done. You're good to go. We're we're, we're literally just getting some pinups ready so we can send it to the printer. Um, so yeah, it's we're 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 making good time on everything. We're gonna do, we're gonna fulfill. As long as the post office is okay, uh, December. Um, what about my mail-in vote? Yeah, you know. Uh, um, yeah, I'm waiting for my, my mine too. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah, you know, I I I feel good about this. Um, you know, and like I said, the book's written, so we're just getting art ready on the next installment. It's awesome. It's awesome. We're, we're excited. David, so we'll see you in like a year on the fourth show. You know what? We'll 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 I. I have more things coming, so let's do this sooner rather than later. That sounds great. Thanks for coming back. We always enjoy having you on. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. I have a blast chatting with you guys. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. There will be more coming soon.